0: Hey guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host Stefan Neff. Today is another fantastic day for an interview, and I was looking forward to that interview for quite some time because my guest today is and Hubert. Devinen has written a book, <laughs> Sex, Drugs and Jesus, and when I saw when I saw that. Uh I thought, okay, that's interesting. I knew the rock and roll. Uh I rocked and rolled, and I sexed and not so many drugs, but alcohol. So sex, alcohol, and and sex <laughs> would have been my title or something like that. Uh, but Jesus obviously eluded me so far. So therefore, this combination seemed to be uh doesn't fit together. So I read his book in anticipation of this interview. And oh, what a book it was. So I'm so excited to have Devenen Hubert with me. Devenen, welcome to my show.
1: Thank you. I am so happy to be here. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Hello, everyone out there. Hello, 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 hello. (laughs) Exactly.
0: We need to love. We need to to go out there and be positive because there is only one life. There's only one present here. And present means that you live in the present but it is also it is a present because we have no idea what happens in a moment so you might as well make the most out of it and whilst this is definitely true now that that both Devan and i sort of talk a bit in a in a kind of transformed way we both we're certainly making the most out of it out of every one second in our life i know i did and reading your book i know you did well, Divenit, let's go back though. when you were a younger boy. Who did you want to be? What did you want to become when you were young? I wanted to be Godzilla.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Destroying or just being stronger than others?
1: I just wanted the atomic breath. You know, whether or not I was going to use it, it just was cool. So, <laughs> I, I really, really, really loved Godzilla growing up and Freddy Krueger. But um, <laughs> no, I'm not violent at all, but I just really, really thought he was like a really, oh, he is a really cool villain. And I hope to see a resurgence of him. But I, I thought I would be a computer engineer for one point growing up or, you know, some something like that. Mm. You know, you know, hell, I mean, I went through so many different things thoughts um Uh, the time i wanted to be a a pastor or worship leader you know i was you know i've been all over the place it's true what stopped you becoming the, the 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 dream you of that age Well, I went to the military when I went to high school. Going, <laughs> instead of going to college. So, <laughs> that, so that put me on a completely different trajectory. <laughs> I was I wasn't
0: sure that there's a course for Godzilla's. Um but obviously United States you can learn Klingon as a as a language. I mean, if that is a university degree, then hey, then Probably there is something for Godzilla's out there, too. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, but what what made you choose the military?
1: I feel like it was of God for me to go. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you never really thought about something or processed it before. But when it came before you, you just had a strong pull towards it. Like you knew, mm. it's like you knew. And so in, there, in in this country, there's a test called the Armed Sar- Arm Services Vocational Aptitude Battery, mm. the ASVAB. And you must take that test in order to enlist in any branch of service. And so it's an optional test, but at my high school, for whatever reason, they made all the seniors take it. <laughs> all, all the graders take it. It's like randomly one day, they were like all seniors report to the cafeteria, you know, when, when we show up. <laughs> And there's these, then there's this test being given out. We're like, okay. <laughs> uh, and so I so I took the thing. This was like maybe February, and we would be graduating in May or something like that. And um, and I did really well on it. I really wasn't trying because I had no bloody idea what it was for. But um, and so the Air Force called the house and they were like talking to my parents, and my parents suggested that I go, and I was like, Yeah, whatever. And they really, really suggested that I went. So I went and talked to him. And as I was sitting in front of this recruiter, just the epiphany, you know, the energy started to shift and to turn and everything. And I knew. I just knew. I'm not coming from a military family. I wasn't trying to uphold our honor or nothing like that. I just knew. How cool
0: is that? How call cool us that. And sometimes we need to take the opportunities that, that we are given, because we all get given so many in in every day's life. And there is the joy of finding an opportunity, JOFO. Um, there's also the joy of missing out on opportunity, <laughs> Jomo, um, how often, <laughs> How often <laughs> with hindsight, you think, oh, that was a good opportunity. And then you see the outcome, and you think, nah. Um, but obviously, therefore, you gelled. And what drew you to the Air Force? Or was it the charisma of that one dude who, who basically showed you it? Or was it a dream in your heart
1: that made you go for the Air Force? No dream. It was, I think it was the leading of the spirit. Now, I don't know what would have happened if the army would have called first. I don't think I would have gone for that. I'm for to diva, you know, you know, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm about a very cute life, you know, and so, um, It, it, yeah, it, it, a, the infantry doesn't work so
0: well there, does it? it? It just messes up your mascara, honestly, man. In my opinion no. <laughs> exactly. now. Exactly. I know. When I did you. <laughs> when did you. Okay, we need to go one step back there. Um, you are very outspoken about, uh, about being homosexual now. But going
1: back, when did you actually figure out that you like boys more than, than girls? Oh God! I must have been like three. Okay, started, okay. So, but I started being attracted to my dad's friends and uh, shit. Right. right. Okay, so that was very
0: early. Good. So it was not a um. Uh, good. No, that that plays of course a, a big big role later on in your life, um, because that you're you're beautiful outspokenness uh, (laughs) ended up quite getting you into trouble a few times there but let's 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 take that one by one here you were air force air force was calling and i know you're a man who actually excels you throw yourself into into a new life you live it to the fullest and I think that was pretty much coming out in your book. How was how was, uh, uh, life in the Air Force as a homosexual?
1: Oh, it was terrible as a homosexual. You know, overall, the military experience was bittersweet and a lot of the bitterness was because of that. I mean, imagine, I mean, I mean people don't really have to imagine, but, you know, not being able to live your truth, you know. Mm. So when I would get picked on and harassed for being gay and and I won't go down the rabbit hole of why the men who identify as straight spend so much damn time harassing those of us who don't don't you have a woman to go chase after why yeah. are you why are you harassing me i'm like this one guy would like our dorms was his dorm building was like here and across the street was the dorm building that i was in when i would go to wash clothes he would come out of his room hang over his balcony and yell gay insults at me okay and then if i were to pass him walking down the street he wouldn't say anything but he would like okay. get all loud and yell it was the weirdest most bizarre thing and that's just one example and see when that happens i can't go run to the commanding officer because mm. i was serving during don't ask don't tell now exactly. the military now the military is gay and everything and hooray i'm so happy <clears throat> but in those days that was not the case right. and um you know, I could have gotten kicked out. So I do want to say, you know, to any veterans out there who did get bad conduct discharges for their sexuality, they are reversing those discharges now, and so your discharge can be upgraded to honorable. You just got to get like uh, the Disabled Veterans Association or American Legion or some sort of veteran service organization to help you, but your discharge can be reversed. Oh, how cool is that?
0: Oh, I'm really. Um, how nice is that? Because that must be such a such a pain such a feeling of betrayal and that was exactly sort of the the the, a theme that so often came out in your book because you're a man who lives with passion you're a man who goes out there and gives 120 percent and then often enough the institutions that you maybe not idolized well in some cases idolized we come to that in a moment in the church but yeah. in in I mean you certainly you went all out and you became really good in what you were. So there you were a gay uh, of a different a different color a man of color let's call it like that and you're bloody good in what you're doing. Heh, hang on <laughs> no surprise that you rub some people up man how <laughs> um how were you dealing with
1: that? I mean yes is uh, this uh. you can't like there 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 was no way to deal with it you know secret anger inner anger you could complain to a friend but that that's a part of the the PTSD and the stress that I carry to this day you know having that anger because if you could, if I would have complained about it I would have gotten kicked out so then that gives me a, a dishonorable discharge now I have to go home in shame mm. and then it's a bad thing to have on your record um you know, so there's there is no outlet. And so it's like it's like being in an abusive relationship and you just don't you can't walk away because in the military they can fire you when you want to, but you can't walk away because now you're absent without leave. Now you're gonna go to jail. So they have all the control and you have none. Ooh, what a beautiful
0: comparison to abusive marriage. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. How long were you in the Air Force? Six years. Mm. Six
1: beautiful years, six long no, years. Six bittersweet-ass years. So the sweet part was living in California, and that's where I discovered Los Angeles as my soul, and I want to move back there one day, and I will. Just got to get rich first, that's all. <laughs> so that was the sweet. never sent me overseas in the military, though I tried to go. I was in during 9-11, you know, our whole Twin Towers terrorist attack thing that happened on September 11th. Um, and I tried to go to the war, tried to get stationed, all kinds of places, but not everybody in the military gets sent overseas, so they can't send everybody. So, but for me, going to California was worth it. I fell in love with that state. So that was the sweetest part. And then being a recruiter, helping people to come up out of the bad parts of California to have a better life, Mm -hmm. sweetest thing of all. Mm -hmm. So, It's interesting that you say that uh, because you you always put a
0: a positive um, swing on things. I like that a lot of uh, positive outlook on things, because whenever you hear about recruiters, it's typically a swear word uh, in it doesn't matter which kind of. Of memoir you read uh, of American military, typically infantry, um, the recruiters don't get a nice say because typically they tell a lot of bullshit um, and don't may you know fudge the the figures a little bit um, and your chances a bit and you you go in for one speciality and you end up with something completely different, typically yeah. not as nice. Um, but you were different. What made you different?
1: Well, I mean, I don't lie, you know, mm. so, so more practically though, I was 21, I turned 21 when I was a recruiter. So I went to recruiter school when I was like 19 or 20. And so I was super young uh. and I caught a lot of shit from people, you know, for being so young and everything. They, The people in recruiter school couldn't just be happy I was there, but they were so bitter Mm. That I was further along at that age than they were, that they couldn't celebrate me. And then that that bitterness when I got out of recruiter school, which was in San Antonio, Texas, and I went to San Bernardino, California, which is all in Southern California. Mm. You live in one part of Southern California, you kind of move around the whole thing. And so... The, so I'm recruiting people from high school. I basically had just got out of high school, mm. you know, so I was recruiting people in my age range. And so these mm. people became my friends. I was not on a military base because the recruiters don't work on military bases. You work downtown, you know, you don't go to a base. And so... I mean, I was too close to them. I wouldn't have lied anyway, because I don't, I just don't do that. I'm going to the club with these fellas, you know, I'm hanging out, we're going out partying, we're getting drunk, we're getting laid together, you know, all kinds of stuff. These these are like my homies and um, don't know. And yeah, a lot of recruiters do lie, but I refuse to do it. But this created conflict because my supervisors were telling me to lie. Uh, and then I told my supervisors to go fuck themselves, and they don't particularly care for that in the military. <laughs> yeah, funny, really, funny that is. Yeah. <laughs> but they couldn't really do anything about me because I was over 100% of my recruiting goal mm. every year. Mm. So. True.
0: Having said that, uh, it's still you wrapped up people very much the wrong way. Your looks, your attitude, your um, your maybe your success—in actual fact, you were a tall poppy. Okay, tall poppy
1: syndrome needs to be cut off, and they succeeded, didn't they? They almost did. Because I I I went through this phase where I had like a whole bunch of facial piercings. If you can't tell, I like eccentricity a lot. And so, um, and they don't like you to wear piercings in the military, in uniform, out of uniform, on a base. I wasn't I was on a base. So I almost got discharged, the bad conduct discharge for those piercings, no matter how good my numbers were. And I thought that that was the stupidest thing, but... You know, the Lord delivered me. You know, greatly. That was a very strong deliverance for them people. I got yelled at, hollered at. You know, all kinds of stuff over, over, over piercings and stuff. And one mindset in the in the military is like, well, recruiters are out there recruiting with people, so shouldn't they look like the people they're trying to recruit? Like, so we should have recruiters should have less less of a uniform expectation. because when you have something in common with people. One 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 slogan they would tell me as recruiters, they like you, they buy. Okay. But it's hypocritical of them because I'm like, I'm reflecting the community. They like me, they are buying. That's why I'm over goal each month. <laughs> but mm. you, they, but you, but you're too busy trying to control me, mm. you know, to do that. So, mm. so no, I, I and just, just like you said, they would try to put somebody in a job in the Air Force that they didn't want, and then try to get me to convince them to take it. And I'm like, no, that's not what the fuck they want. They weren't interested in what those recruits wanted. They weren't interested in what I wanted. And they only wanted to meet their numbers so they can get promoted like my supervisors. But I'm like, I had the largest territory. My territory was 120 square miles. I had many colleges many high schools. I went to the middle schools, elementary schools. I was all over the place. And um, my goal was like four people a month. Other people's goal was like one or two people a month because I had the largest territory. Our unit was the entire state of Arizona and then Southern California. That's a lot of land. Mm -hmm. And I have territory so i I was like bitch if i want to put piercings in i'm going to put piercings in deal with it <laughs> and then they started hunting me they sent me for instance to do a random drug test three tuesdays in a row at like 1 p.m each time <laughs> mm. okay oh <laughs> damn 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 so and that's <laughs> not
0: necessarily the nicest the nicest um nicest what shall i say the nicest life. I mean, and it, it comes out in your book actually quite quite brilliantly, because there you are actually enjoying your life, living up to the the to your principles. And um some of the people who are working with you really, really don't mind and I actually very happy with that. Yet the overall theme that came out of that aspect of your life was really betrayal. Um, you felt really, really pissed off um, by it. Um, and I, I that was a huge part of my life um, and my justification for drinking. How did you deal with that betrayal?
1: Oh, I threw the uniforms away when I got out. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, option to light them on fire, but... I didn't deal with it because I didn't have a mindset of like mental health, you know, growing up in the hood, you know, poor and, and, and you know, shit like I did. We don't, in a, you know, in, in the black community, we don't really talk about mental health. You know, you're too busy. Like, OK, where's the next meal going to come from? We're going to make a roof over our head. So sure. you don't have like the basis, the basics of life covered. So you don't really have time yeah. to get into I don't want to say superfluous, but because it's necessary, but mm. you know, you, you you get what I'm saying. Like, very you know, we, so. yeah, we exactly. got to eat first. So mm. I, what I should have done was started to go in to see a mental health counselor while I was in the military mm. because my mind was getting fucked up the whole time. And, I didn't exactly. Realize. Exactly. and um, at the very least when I got out and I wish I'd have done the same thing when I got kicked out of church, you know, which we'll talk about later, I didn't understand the trauma Mm. The way I do now, and sometimes it, it cuts okay. so deep. It's like it passes the conscious mind, and it's so deep, and then we exactly. bury it. But then it comes out later on, and when you don't need it to, in your relationships and all kinds of stuff. So mm. I didn't handle it. Right. I. But then again, but where did the alcohol come in? Where did the drugs come in?
0: When was sort of the uh, first time that you that you felt the release that that a drug for a short time can do
1: the alcohol oddly enough i drank like a fucking fish when i was in the military when i got out i didn't really drink anymore too much Uh Was that
0: part and parcel of uh, of being in the military i mean it is a very wet environment depending upon
1: where you are stationed and who are you around with I definitely was drinking to numb the pain in the military looking back on it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was thinking I was partying and everything because I was I mean, a part of it was because I was young and wild. Sure. But at, but 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 the fact that I really almost ceased all drinking the day I got out of the military shows me that it wasn't just being young and wild. Exactly. But I but I wasn't aware of that when I was actually doing it. Exactly. Interesting,
0: so, isn't it? Yeah, no, same here same here that is um although i mean for crying out loud i mean that is that was what i was looking forward to um the tension in my neck i give me two glasses of wine and suddenly ah it was that kind of release that kind of ah feels so good the warmth that goes through my body after two glasses of wine is mm, Thank you very much. That was what my body was craving. It craved serenity, it craved um, peace. And the alcohol was the only way that I could find it at that time. And so therefore, it is very understandable that that we are grabbing something that gives us immediate satisfaction. Let it be the sugar rush, let it be the cigarette, let it be sex, let it be whatever your your combination of poisons are um or your your, i shouldn't call them poisons your whatever your escapes of your reality are let's call it like that so oh damn man um it is it is normal that we do that it's interesting that you say you stopped immediately wow so therefore that that tells me shitloads. but then how did it continue so you came out of the military free like a bird um so what
1: now? Well, I moved from Southern California to Houston, Texas to go to Lakewood Church, you know, in large part now. And then, you know, I started tipping out to like the clubs and maybe mm-hmm. drinking, you know, a couple of times a month. You know, something like that, as opposed to every night like I did when I was <laughs> in the military. So um, and I didn't start drinking heavily again until we had a hurricane coming through called Hurricane Ike. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was working for the light company, the power company at the time. And it was a bitch of a storm and power was out in Houston. Houston is like the third or fourth largest city in the United States. Yeah. And the power was out for like weeks, like three, three, four weeks. And oh, my God, uh, 12 hour shifts every day. And listen, get, getting bitched out on the phone. I worked in the call center during that time. Mm-hmm. Worst job I've ever had in my life, maybe being a janitor. No, I like being a janitor more than working at that damn call center so the drugs though came in I was so I was at Lakewood Church for those of you who may not know Lakewood Church is the largest church in the United States maybe the second largest in the world next to Hillsong Church which is in Australia Mm -hmm. Lakewood Church is run by Joel Osteen and Victoria Osteen and um and I went there and just like I did with the military and everything else I immersed myself in it fully i always been you know super spiritual and considered myself to be close to God. And, um, and so I became a worship leader in the kids mm-hmm. ministry. I sang in the adult choir on the weekends. I became a volunteer supervisor. I taught my own group of third grade boys and I just was up there 10, 15 hours a week and I loved my life. And, and people have been offering me mm-hmm. drugs for years. And i didn't take them i was like well i got to get to church you know i don't need that you know church had always told me all drugs are bad and everything like that which yeah. i disagree with that now that i'm examining life for myself and not letting the church think for me and um and i just always told them no so i ended up getting kicked out of lakewood church for not being straight um when i when i applied for a job there i had volunteered there like two three years and I, volu- I applied for a job because I had I was go- I had gone to seminary. I was trying to get a master's degree so I can get on staff. And I was doing this whole thing, and they uh, checked my MySpace page. This was back at the beginning of social media, because you know even at a church, this is so this this is this is part that was so heartbreaking to me. Like I've been volunteering with this damn church two to three years, and that is not enough of a testament of who I am you know, you have to go and check my my MySpace page, you know. So so they found out I wasn't straight or whatever, you know, because and then they were like they bring me into the office and they're like how could you do this? And they had this whole meltdown, like I had offended them. And they were like, how could you be hanging out in the gay part of town? How could you do this to us? And they were like, they were like, you can't be doing that, hanging out over there with those people. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I got when, up and walked, yeah. walked the fuck out of there. It was about five or six years before I ever walked into a church again. <laughs> oh, man. It really pisses me off, um, and that is that is maybe
0: why I never really uh, had the opportunity to find Jesus because I saw the church or the churches that that I was exposed to as what they were, a bunch of of hypocritical bitching liars. Because ultimately, if you look actually at their their what what is being preached and what is being said and the way you should be, should conduct yourself. And then you look behind the scenes. Um, Bloody hell, bloody hell. So therefore, the moment I would hear something like that, I would explode. I would absolutely blow my mind and my mouth would open that little filter <laughs> that is anyhow very, very underdeveloped in me, um, <laughs> would, uh, would completely melt down. You know, it's just like a fuse going, uh, <laughs> what, how did you respond to that? I mean, yeah, you were, you gave three years of your life to that church and you really did. You volunteered left, right and center, um, how did you
1: what, what was going through your mind and what did you do? The barrage of emotions is like, um, I guess like finding out your significant other has a whole other family in another state with a whole mm. other kids is just completely blindsided. Mm. Um, There aren't words in any language that I've studied, and I've studied several that can really (laughs) define. It's like a super intense feeling, but it's also dull. It's like I felt numb and completely, insanely, intensely outraged at the same time. And so then everything was all feeling was canceled. I tried to speak. They weren't interested in what the fuck I had to say because this decision was already made. So they fired me from all aspects of volunteering, basically saying, if you're not straight, you're a pedophile. Mm. And um, they didn't want me around the children or anything. And they were like, they put together this conversion therapy package and they were like, we want you to undergo conversion therapy to become ungay, And we can demote you to being an usher or a greeter in the meantime. And once you're not gay anymore, then you can work your way back up into the church's (laughs) graces. And, and I I had two choices. I could either beat the shit out of them and go to jail, which I ended up getting felonies later but anyway, or just walk the fuck out. So I just got up and walked the fuck out and they looked totally confused because I had told them yes for years. I never told them no, not one damn time. Mm. And that was the only time that I did not go along with what they wanted me to do. And they just looked confused that I didn't accept their conversion therapy package. that was the last time I saw them motherfuckers. When busted? that? God, 2000. Nine ish. Mm,
0: okay. Um, cool. I so would love to to turn the spotlight onto that church and look through the elders and do a little bit of <laughs> of digging to find out what was going on or what is going on in their lives. It's automatically my immediate response. Okay, come on, boys. Okay, you 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 heard me. I heard you. Um, but you. <laughs>
1: Well, the thing is that church is, they're very, very careful, you know, with the way they go about doing stuff. So it's hard to catch them doing wrong. They do it. And they're great friends with all the churches that get caught up in scandals and shit like that. So I refuse to believe that they're the only clean ones. It's just, exactly. it's not, it's not possible. Mm. So I saw Joel and Victoria, the pastors of that church on like Good Morning, no, on Fox News because they were getting ready to go on like a tour again, sell out arenas and whatever. And they were talking about how they won't perform gay, gay marriages. But if some friends of theirs were getting, you know, had going were gay and were getting married and they would attend the wedding. And I was like, okay, when the fuck did this change? Because when uh-huh. they were on Larry King live yeah. years ago, you know, Joe was like, I'm against homosexuality. It's not in the Bible, can't be doing all that. You know, well, no, when he was on Larry King, he, he gave one of those non-answers like, well, it, after you answer the question, I was like, what the fuck did you just say? Yeah. You know, and Larry King asked him about, you know, whether he thought gay was right or not. So he's changed his mind over the years but my whole thing is this. They can't be like on the surface, like everyone's welcome here. You're firing volunteers for their sexuality, not yeah. because they've done anything. You're following volunteers, free labor, which church is always hollering for volunteers. But you're going on this show saying you'll go to a gay wedding. But you're also saying you you don't want uh, gay volunteers. So, bitch, which one is it?
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I would say. Uh, without actually knowing these people, so in you know, all fairness, I I might be wrong there, but my educated guess would be that it is that we are now in living in a society where it is which is so vogue that an extreme, outspoken, more extremist kind of opinion is no longer tolerated. You lose huge amounts of people who find it really trendy to to be on the left end of the spectrum. Um, you have to be multisexual, transgender, you have to you have to nearly be that in order to nowadays be accepted. If you say no I'm a strict heterosexual um and I don't really like homosexuals, whoa that would be even even nowadays in church circles would probably be considered by many people as offensive as extreme so therefore i think this is more them going with uh with trying to keep as many voters quotation mark as possible um Mm -hmm. rather than anything else so i don't think the attitude has changed i think the, the careful phrased words have changed with which they cover themselves the mask has changed they just painted the mask a little bit more rainbow color that's everything that has changed nothing
1: else would be my educated guess um would you agree oh i I definitely concur um i can't exactly remember how i heard someone say this years ago but they said basically like the temperament of the church is like set by the world Mm. you know the things they say and do you know they take cue from the world the church doesn't really give cue to the world Mm -hmm. you know like you're saying whatever's trendy is what they're going to go with, mm. and it, you're exactly right. um Because churches like that rose to prominence by not being assholes, like say the Pentecostals and the Baptists were. Like you could go to a non-denominational church mm. and wear jeans. You can't wear shorts and a baseball cap in mm. a Pentecostal church. Oh my God, it's a catastrophe. Mm. These churches come along and give you flashy laser lights and a band, uh-huh. and tell you to wear what the fuck you want. You got freedom. You got it was a liberating environment. So, yeah, if they become super strict, then then that all goes away for them. But Mm. I just it's just a super bad example, because like you mentioned, your view of God is tied up in pastors and churches and stuff like that, as it is probably for all of us until Mm. we grow out of that. And so I'm a big advocate of trying to get people to separate God from religion and to separate God from churches. My personal saying that I have coined after all of this bitter experience is that the further I get away from church and religion, the closer I actually get to God. (laughs) I love that. I absolutely love that. And, and of course, that is
0: it's part of your journey, that that the hero's journey, he has to go through trials and tribulations before he can come out a, a changed man. So, hell, you have done that already. You've done that with the Air Force, um, and you have done that now with Lakewood Church, for crying out loud. I mean, you, you would have think, wow, that's a cool book. We stopped there now. But your story on it just starts there, <laughs> because... Yeah. You actually then changed a little bit. You actually thought, nah, fuck that. Okay, they are, and i paraphrase here a little bit, um, they um, are punishing me for being a gay, first in the Air Force, then in Lakewood. Okay, why am I not turning full gay and actually throw myself into that life and actually celebrate the new you? Or the you that always has been there, but that was always kept chained up and restricted. Is that fair to say? Yes. Good. Absolutely. And that is normal. I think that is a beautiful thing that you did. Um, How were those initial years for you?
1: Were they as liberating as you had hoped? You mean after I got kicked out of church? Yeah. No, because... The night that I got kicked out of church, I went out to the club. But this time I went out, I went out to like a gay bar. Mm. But I went out with the mindset of I'm gonna go somewhere where I know I won't be rejected. Mm. Opposed to I'm gonna go somewhere to hang out and have a good time. Right. So I wanna be, I wanna be very, very granular and specific about the difference in the way my mind shifted there and the difference. And what I'm saying, because we do this, we seek community. And I didn't realize this at the time, but we seek community where there's going to be a gang, a church, our family. Thank God for chosen family now where, you you know, you can choose who the fuck you want. Um, So my church community got taken away. I never viewed the nightlife or clubbing as like family or community Mm. that 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 box is already checked. The night that I got kicked out of Lakewood, I went out into those streets and I was like, I'm going to go to this club. And really what I was saying subconsciously was I'm going to go and find a new tribe, Mm. a family. Mm. Now, with this family comes the drugs and everything like that. There's a lot of drug use in the LGBTQIA2S plus community. I didn't know this. I didn't even know what Sunday Funday was because I had been at church every damn Sunday of my life pretty much. I'm bouncing around the gay gay district on a Sunday. I'm asking the bartenders, why are you open on Sunday? Who does this? They have to explain to me. I'm damn near 30 years old now. They have to explain to me what Sunday Funday is. And I'm all like, oh, this is a thing? (laughs) excellent and so but I was not happy and I didn't realize how broken-hearted there's a song by the script called break even and it talks about how when a heart breaks it doesn't break even and you know and so so basically I felt like I had a terrible Divorced from Lakewood Church. Uh-huh. Now they've gone on and continue to prosper and everything like that. And I'm out here with this bleeding soul and I don't know what the fuck to do with it. I don't want to call home to my original pastor and tell her because I'm ashamed I got kicked out. Uh-huh. Um so again, I don't go and get counseling. I don't do anything with it. I just let the pain set there. Yeah. I guess leaving is just gonna magically drift off one day. But mm. one thing I have learned about trauma is when that shit happens, you have to intentionally chase it away from you it's not just going to float away and um so when the next person offered me an ecstasy pill this time instead of saying no I said yes and I didn't realize that I was doing it out of like rebellion against Lakewood mm-hmm. you know I and and so it made me feel really good and then I started doing ecstasy every night mm-hmm. you know and I wanted that good feeling but I didn't realize, that I wanted it because of what had been taken from me by that damn church. Oh, exactly. No, that makes a hell of a lot of sense.
0: And it's interesting that you that you started with ecstasy, which is the kind of I love the world drug. Um, at least if if you get real ecstasy. God knows what kind of shit you get nowadays when you buy something. Right. Um, but now there you go, and and I can imagine the dopamine rush that that or or the, the wave of neurochemicals that wash over you then. And in a dance club, you just go out there, and the world is yours, and you forget your sorrows, you forget the betrayal, and you forget all the negative things. So I think that is something that that people who have never experienced it. Um, will always struggle. They people who are not addicts, or alcoholics will not uh, understand the release that such behaviors can give us from the pain that we are suffering. And I think therefore that is, and that is by no means a promotion of drugs. It's just an explanation why it is so difficult for us later on, to actually uh come up with different behaviors that somehow could possibly mimic the the kind of of release that you can get in a fast in a very fast and efficient way by using certain drugs, certain behaviors. And that's that's really the key thing. So, guys, no promotion here. I was not saying go out, try ecstasy. Nope, don't. <laughs> um, but at the same token, um, maybe I can make you understand why we addicts um, uh, go for those those experiences because they they numb you, they let you escape reality. Nowadays, I do that in a different way um, Then it was what it was. So here you were um, going out there, starting to live your life to the fullest. At that moment, uh, you embraced your 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 uh, your new gay tribe, so to speak. Um, you were you looking for a steady relationship, or were you just tasting the water? Were you just just going out and basically having a good time, focusing on again short-term relief? i.e. Um, <laughs> having sex now and then, well,
1: bye-bye. That was one of the things that the military also stole from me, was my ability to have a relationship. Again, the military has changed, but in my day, the concept of having a long-term relationship with a male was impossible. You know, because you're going to move, they're going to ch- make you change stations in uh. and, and and because of the don't ask, don't tell, I never really thought I could. Though I, I tried, but also knew I'd have to move. And you know, we weren't as connected through social mm-hmm. media now, like we like now or back then. So you had to keep people's phone numbers and shit, mm-hmm. you know, in order to keep up with people. They weren't just like a friend on Facebook that you can just like reach out to mm-hmm. if you haven't talked to them in ten years. But um, so I begin. I had a lot of sex in the military and I knew that I was doing it to help numb the pain. I have, I had a terrible relationship with my dad. And so I sought the most masculine dominant men and we had sex, but what I liked the most was when they would just hold me. Mm. And so, and so this continued, you know, when I got out of the military, you know, just in that same vein, because I had like a huge, this, you know, this whole like dad issue thing going on. So, the gay community. Oh my God! Like, like, I, like, if I have a son one day and they're gay, like, I'm going to like teach them shit. Like, going, just going, immersing yourself in the gay world with all of the options that we have and all of the personalities and the this and that and trying to figure this out and i'm from the country now in baton rouge louisiana i'm from the fucking country <laughs> and now i'm in like the fourth third or fourth largest city in this country uh, and don't know what sunday fun day is oh my god i was so damn green good. and so um and quite impressed with it all but i threw myself into it Somebody brought cocaine along one day and I was like, what's that? You know, they had to explain what the fuck cocaine was. And I was like, okay, sure, I'll do that too. Whatever anybody brought to me before I got kicked out of Lakewood church, my answer was always no. Now it turned exactly. to yes. Exactly. I said no to nothing. I accepted it all. And um, so I stopped letting the church think for me. start so start letting other people think for me. I didn't know who the fuck I was. I was so lost but I found purpose again as a drug dealer, though.
0: <laughs> as I said, you throw yourself into something, you give it all, you then do 120%, you become really good at it. So how is it? How is it to become a truck dealer? How did you do that? Did you have to go to school or did it come naturally?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was actually a little bit of schooling, but mainly it became naturally. Um, I've come to learn that people who have been military recruiters actually make exquisite drug dealers. <laughs> you get, Shit, you get put through. A, we get put through a strenuous sales course. The recruiter school is forty-five days of hell. You have to learn how to sell, 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 close the deal, close the loop, open any question, close any question, give presentations, keep the audience engaged. And so, I people started looking at me. Like I would have drugs because of the way I carried myself. You know, I went out all kinds of outfits and stuff like that. And I'd be at a bar and they just kind of give me like a look. I didn't have anything, but I started thinking, well, maybe I should. And um, then I was like on an app, you know, hanging out, fucking around or whatever. And this guy was like, um, you know, he was doing meth. And I was like, well, shit, let's add it to the list. I've done everything else. So let's try it. Uh, You know, I tried to like hold off out the meth to last because I'd heard such bad things about it. But eventually I was like, fuck it. And so this one guy was like, let me introduce you to my meth dealer. And I was like, "Okay." And so I go over there to get some 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 dope. And this meth dealer offers me a job as a driver delivering his (laughs) narcotics for him. Now, I'm working at the light company. I make 30 to 70 bucks an hour. I don't need his money. But what he offered me was a father figure. Now this guy was older, and like I said, I had a strained relationship with my dad, and so this is the beginning of a new community for me. Mm-hmm. So at a trap house, at a drug house, you have the main drug dealer. They're the dad, the mom, whatever. He's offering me a job. He's showing interest, and I, I accept it. I don't need it, but wh- what I he what he gave me was a type of love, or at least I interpreted it as love. Even though it wasn't, and um, and this brought me into a whole new community within the drug world. Meth users are like a whole section within themselves, and so um, so they taught me. They sent people out on the road with me to teach me, you know, how to drive and deliver narcotics. You know, what lane to be in, what time of day, you know, all of this. And so it was dangerous. It was fun. It was wild. You know, I was no longer the you know the, the the church boy. You know, I got off work and I would go deliver drugs and shit. I kind of felt like Batman creeping off into the night. You know, it was cool. You know, I went to the military at 17, which I don't recommend. So I grew up really fast. And so now I'm 26, 27, just getting into drugs and becoming a driver. So I started buying meth, you know, and like maybe an eight ball. And I put two and two together. I was like, hmm. Well, if I get a little money from my friends for, for their meth. I can go over here and get this in quantity, and I don't. I could use their money to pay for mine, and it kind of like went from there. <laughs> uh,
0: I mean, there, is, there are certain careers that, again, last a lifetime. Drug uh, lord uh, typically doesn't last so long, because especially someone like you, who is actually very good in what they do, i guess what you, you you're selling too well because you you draw attention to you and how long did you stay in that
1: life Shit, yeah, maybe a year and a half mm. or two I, i'm sure it didn't go over two mm. things move really really fast in the drug world uh one of my favorite shows of all time breaking bad um us covers our heisen heisenberg meth mm. cook cancer diagnosis that whole thing um five seasons those whole five seasons everything about it was accurate i know they had tweakers on the set to help them write that show because that shit was accurate to the t Mm. pun intended um (laughs) and uh except all five of those seasons would have happened in one year that's how fast shit moves out there exactly and um when when was that that time frame? What are we talking about now? This is around 2009, to 2011, yeah, 2010. Okay.
0: So that was before basically the the Mexican cartels brought fentanyl uh, and all the the fentanyl uh, analogs into the country um, before the the country got flooded with, with with absolute weird bullshit kind of 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 drugs.
1: Yeah, it wasn't unheard of. Mm. But it was rare. I think Mm. I know one person who died of like fentanyl and that was after 2012. Exactly. At some point in between now and 2012. Um, But like you said, no, it's not drug dealing isn't a career, but I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. I was learning it as on the job. Now on the back end of it, I began to research, you know, criminals, crime, you know, and I read books about it and I was like, okay like Meyer Lansky was a gangster who who lived until he died um but usually they all met a bloody end of some sort and so So going into it, I know the wild, the wisest way to do it is to say, I want to make this much money like Jay-Z, you know, Mm. I'm going to, I'm going to sell this fucking dope, make this much money, then get out of the game, be done with it. (laughs) If you're going to do it, that's how you do it. But see, I I needed the attention. I needed the validation. Uh, 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 The military, uh, 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 I didn't know this at the time, but the military and the church dehumanized me becoming a drug dealer gave me validation. You know, being called upon, being needed like that, um, having people around me all the time. I hated silence because I didn't want to have to face my pain. And so I would give people drugs, do anything just to keep somebody around me at all times.
0: So you became literally a people pleaser in all the in all the the, the levels that you could imagine to that word. My goodness. Okay. Yeah, I didn't um, stand up for myself. So ballocks. honestly um okay when did
1: you when did you come to the attention of the feds who knows probably um well i had a white mustang with like a football leather interior which my drug suppliers like begged me to get rid of but i didn't (laughs) want to do it so. so that car yeah drew a lot of attention to me much like yeah. so Frank Lucas, the american gangster denzel washington plays his character in the, the movie american gangster guy shoots a dude in his head in the middle of the street nobody does anything because that's how boss this dude is the thing that tipped him off to the feds was when he wore this real expensive fur coat to a boxing match in las vegas uh-huh. right? so that white mustang to me was what what that coat was to frank lucas mm. And then I was going out to the club every night, flashy outfits, oh, yeah. going to hotels to deliver dope, bathhouses, you know, I was all over the place. They had informants, you know, and everything, and they used an informant to ultimately take me down. Um, God, nobody likes a Judas. But um, so that that car and then my, my overall lifestyle, you know, you can't be out at the club every night and being... A drug dealer and i was probably i won't say how much crystal meth i was de- well, i was dealing everything meth heroin you know whatever the fuck you wanted i had you know i wasn't gonna just half-ass it <laughs> but um you know but you can't be doing all of that and then be out in the scene hmm. you know i and I, people warned me and they tried to get me but i couldn't stop i didn't want to stop and um I was addicted to the power I had over people and the attention they gave me more than I was to the drugs. Mm. Oh, I can see that.
0: I can see that so much. Oh, goodness gracious. Did you feel well? Were Did you I happy? Well? Were you happy at that oh, time?
1: No. <laughs> but I didn't understand what happiness was. I didn't know what it meant to feel happy anymore. Yeah. You know, and unless I had people around me and it was high. Yeah. then i felt happy but i didn't realize that i was so deeply miserable oh exactly you know exactly oh man okay how did the story continue i got more reckless and i got hepatitis b i went to go donate my o negative blood and i got a letter from the blood bank saying don't come around here with this blood anymore because it's tainted and we don't want it take it back You have hepatitis B antibodies, deal with it. And so so I went went to the doctor to try to deal with it. And so the liver doctor dealing with the hepatitis B ran more blood tests, found HIV, um, didn't tell my primary care doctor, although we were trying to get those results from him. This bitch waited until New Year's Eve to leave a voicemail on my phone telling me I'm HIV positive. You know, and I was like... (laughs) Oh,
0: that's not a conduct I would necessarily condone as a as a fellow doctor.
1: Bloody hell! This guy was a complete nightmare, and um, yeah, his name is Doctor Peter Lang. I don't give a fuck who a people know. Uh, in the book, I changed his name, but fuck him. You know, we sign these medical releases at these doctors' offices, saying that you can leave voicemails. Sure, but bitch. That does it. Some shit you should just exercise a modicum of common damn sense that it leave positive shit on the voicemail, not an HIV diagnosis. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Exactly. And well, then the- New Year's Eve, I was like, why the fuck couldn't he have waited till like the 2nd of January? <laughs> why the hell are you going to do it on the 31st of December? Like and it was a Saturday. His office is only open Monday through Thursday. Mm. Like, so you're in the office on an off day, on a weekend, on a holiday. You,
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Um, I mean, to a certain degree, he knew you would have celebrated with a bang. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so maybe there was a there was some sense in his madness. Um, Having said that, yeah, here you are on tender hooks now, and basically feeling absolutely what the fuck now, kind of. And well, wow, well, how did it continue?
1: Well, I retrieved this I walked out of the club to retrieve this voicemail. We were already at F Bar in Houston, Texas. Key King. I was partying with my friend who's an attorney and everything and I went out to retrieve this voicemail I started crying and shit and then I I cleaned my tears up because I had my mascara running and I could not go back in the club looking a hot mess and I didn't tell anyone I just went in there and danced like it was going to be my last New Year's Eve because I thought I'd be dead in about eight months Mm -hmm. Um, people ask me all the time you know hey you got this medicine it's manageable I'm all like there's nothing that will ever make a person feel okay about having their body invaded by something that they don't have the power to get rid of Mm. okay and then the only person who I'd ever really known at length to have had hiv died at around 24 and so when he shriveled up oh my god he went from being this model s six-pack beautiful man to covered in these boils and shit and been over on a cane that is what i understood of hiv Mm. and then never mind you the little the shriveled up babies with flies on them that they would show you in africa i mean we've been mind fucks to think hiv is super terrible mm. even though there's medicine you those images are ingrained in our head and to this day people have adverse reactions mm. when they get hiv diagnoses it doesn't matter how treatable it is mm. although i hope that that's getting better but to but to believe that nobody's going to have a bad mental mental reaction to an mm. hiv diagnosis is naive and i hope that people don't think that way now yeah. i'm very extreme If that that hasn't been, you know, settled yet. And so I didn't tell anybody. I decided I was going to fix this on my own. I didn't realize how much pride that I had. My inability to ask for help indicates a severe lack of humility that I had. And I didn't know that. Mm. And it's a part of the reason why I think God let this all happen this way. I thought I was this broken, humble servant of God or whatever. And really, I was prideful. I was arrogant. I wasn't as close to God as I thought I was. Otherwise, when they kicked me out of Lakewood Church, I would not have detached from God like I did. I was not as put together as I thought I was. And then there's this barrage of emotions that came with that HIV diagnosis that I had never anticipated. I felt such shame, Steve. such bitterness, such uh, embarrassment you know and i caved in on myself and i'm blaming myself for it all and um but the pain didn't go away the next day i woke up and the day after that and i still felt just like mm. confused and swirling and like my universe was spinning and i wasn't even in it anymore and then i started making bad decisions and i got arrested for the first time like 5 days after this diagnosis you know then more rest happened SWAT came kicked the door in and that's how I ended up homeless after the SWAT raid <laughs> that is
0: that is one of the first scenes in your book and I must say that you were such a pathetic uh pathetic uh person uh by accident in that moment uh you're probably normally quite a man who would speak up and especially now you had found yourself you were you, you you were a man of power describe a little bit as as you actually as
1: the literally the door broke open what happened i was not a man of power but from the moment i got kicked out of that that that, that damn church i was hollow on the inside mm-hmm. although i didn't know and i keep saying that i didn't know because I've studied hypnotherapy. I'm a licensed hypnotist, actually. I have learned so much about the mind. And I I really hope your listeners understand that there there can be a detachment in our understanding of ourselves in the present than what's actually the case, you know, unless we really search ourselves. Sometimes we don't know why we think what we think or why we believe what we believe or why we feel what we feel. And so, even though we think we do, sometimes we really don't. And so, and I didn't realize this hollowness was driving so many of my decisions lurking under the surface that whole time. So when they kicked the door in, I felt relief. I was scared shitless. I thought I was gonna fucking be, okay, be killed because, okay, we're talking about like 2040. I don't fucking know. It was just so many armed men, semi-automatic rifles, canine dogs, helicopters, but okay, it's a lot going on. I didn't know that I would walk out of this, but I didn't know how to stop. I didn't tell anybody. The only person who knew that I had HIV was my attorney, the same person I was partying with for New Year's Eve. And then I I texted her and then I texted the person my boss at the light company because I didn't go back to work. I was too sad. I lost the will to live after I got HIV. I just stopped going to work. I just stopped everything. I hadn't paid a paid for the apartment that I was in. So it was going to be, it was, I was going to be evicted anyway. And so I just stopped caring. I stopped paying bills. I was just like this fuck it. It was like a slow suicide. Mm. And so when they kicked the door in, I was happy for the interruption because I didn't know how to fucking I didn't know how to get back to good. Uh, I couldn't vocalize that I had HIV. I texted my attorney. and I texted my former boss. I couldn't say it. I tried. I walked into the office where I used to work and I tried to tell them, and I couldn't find the words. So I just played the voicemail for him. And so, okay. you now why couldn't I say it? Because I wasn't really willing to embrace the truth. Sure. You know, so parts of me was running from reality. I thought I was powerful, like you said, and I thought I had, I was not. I so was not interesting what a beautiful insight
0: what a beautiful growth that has happened to you since then because without that post-traumatic growth you would never have had these realizations now what i was what i was uh referring to when i asked you this question was the sheer fact that these men thought they're going after a big kingpin and therefore, <laughs> the mobilization of half of the SWAT of, of, of your town. And um, they expected basically, they, they came in for a fight. Um, right. And unfortunately, too many men um, have been killed in such circumstances because they made the wrong move. They made the wrong the wrong gesture. They were reaching for a phone or something like that. And that was the end of them. You were at that time sp- Breastplate <laughs> on the on the floor. I think you actually had fallen down on the way to the to your uh, to the door, um, and you were you were anything but a impressive figure. And I think with, when I read that, actually, I thought that saved your life. Uh, I thought I wondered if you had actually at any at any moment the
1: same the same thought. Well, now that you said it, I do. <laughs> no no it's i mean
0: you know why are so many other men of color being killed for much much less okay by by some very I don't want to say trigger happy, I want to say afraid policemen. Um, because the, the flip side is I don't know how many policemen are getting killed by drug dealers or by by um by people who are crazed out on on drugs. Um so therefore this is a very, very two-way street. Although regrettably the American police has a hell of a bad rep as far as their conduct is concerned. Um so here you are um i think i'm very pleased that you are around um because here you are being now a role model um of of someone who's helping others um to 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 show that life is possible and not just possible but very likely to be powerful and beautiful and great regardless of the shit that has happened or maybe even because of the shit that has happened to you. Um, and here you are going out there, have written your book and, and are sharing your story in the most brutal, honest, transparent, authentic way. So, guys, if if you're easily shocked, uh, then I don't recommend uh, Sex, Drugs and Jesus um, because this is is, the man calls a spade a spade. Okay, so let's just let's just be clear about that. And that is actually a beautifully refreshing um, take on things. So if you actually it's a it's a book that I think you should read. Um, So, guys, I'm making advertisement for him. Yeah go, go get his book um, that um, but it is it is in a very insightful book. Man, so here you were taken down by the feds, um, being HIV positive hepatitis B positive. Um, It was 2014. So I mean, how many more hits over the head does the universe or Jesus have to give you um, before you finally say, Fuck it. Okay, maybe maybe there's another way. And how did that other way actually materialize?
1: Okay. Well, I mean, I was homeless. You know, living on the streets for a while. What happened was I got arrested for the last time, and I was in jail for two months. And I was, I was sober long enough to understand that I wasn't actually going to die. Mm. Can and I just ask
0: I- you, Devon? And why only two two months? You were a drug dealer. Come on, man. A, a, a white, a white, a white big pimped out car. Come on, they must have given you a bit more than than two months.
1: Well, let me explain the order of the arrest. The first arrest, when I had the eight ball of meth on me, was an overnight stay in city jail. Got bonded out. The grand jury threw that out for illegal search and seizure. Ah um because i had the eight ball in my underwear and they pulled my pants down to get it out and we were on the side of a elementary school in the middle of the day when the school kids were out <laughs> and, so, and so the grand jury wasn't overly fond of that and when they came for the when they came for the swat raid i actually didn't have any drugs on me the informant uh, planted a bottle of adderall the damn informant put the Adderall. Uh, yeah that's true that's and that's what they used to uh. to arrest me so I was in jail for five days and i bonded out um the third time I actually was trying to cash a check in Bank of America I was there was no drugs involved ah. and um because I was homeless and I was like whatever so I'm banned from Bank of America for life because of that one but um and so it was two months and that charge was like forgery of a financial instrument right they were trying to work a deal to get me probation because the prosecutor was like you know send him to jail jail prison for a long time but the judge was like but he's didn't have any priors like i have zero misdemeanors i don't have a criminal history so i don't think the judge was like the judge had enough compassion to understand okay something must have happened to cause this sudden turn people don't go 30 years with no drugs and nothing and suddenly Uh, become a key man so the judge was like the judge was like look most people don't make it on probation but I'm going to give you this chance, you know? So that's why it was only two months because, uh, you know, there's just, you know, the deal was for me to get out, get on probation. Then they transferred my probation from Texas back to Louisiana. So I can go home and be with my parents. And so, sure. so the turning point was when I was in jail for those two months, I talked to a doctor who actually had a soul and had compassion. And he explained to me, you know, human, immunodeficiency virus in a logical compassionate loving way in a calm demeanor without accusation and i couldn't argue with his logic and i couldn't argue with his love and so i started taking the medicine beautiful (laughs) oh you know i learned from this lesson why it is important to deliver sensitive information people in a certain way Absolutely. the atmosphere you say it the, the words you choose Absolutely. matter how it is received oh yeah and so I come back home um you know and I start working my way back up that is when I was that so to answer your question that is when I began to be mm. want to improve now it still took me 10 years to to get to a point where I would consider myself to be stable from mm. the time that I got out of jail in 2012. 2012 was a year from hell for me. Uh, The year of Aquarius, I heard about it going in. I knew it was going to be terrible, but I knew it wasn't going to be that damn terrible. (laughs) And so, and that's that's when it shifted. When I was in jail and I was like, I'm not going to die. Okay, now I got to start to put the pieces together again. Mm -hmm. And it took about 10 years for me working my way up from being a janitor, you you know, to where I am now, hosting my podcast, Sex, Drugs, and Jesus, and running my lingerie store down under apparel, so... Wow,
0: who helped you? You were saying earlier on you found a tribe. That tribe, of course, was maybe a little bit more self-destructive at that time. um That tribe. Who is your tribe nowadays?
1: Well, in the book I mentioned, my evangelist Nelson, who was my original pastor growing up here, hmm. she is the one who helped me and they helped keep me alive through it all. You know, you know, I almost got killed a couple of times out there in Texas, but um. And she was all the tribe I needed. You know, she's a highly clairvoyant woman, very close to God and very strong spiritually. My parents, you know, my mom, my dad, my spiritual mom, that that was the tribe mm. in terms of people, organizations, the Department of Veterans Affairs, um, all kinds of doctors, mental health people, you know, the housing authority, free, you know, free housing, all of this, you know, food programs. Mm. It took a lot. To, uh, to to revive me and bring me back to life. It took a lot of resources. It took a lot of people's energy. It took a lot of people's time. It's not an easy thing. And, you know, so I really want the world to have patience with people if they're trying to stop being a drug addict or an alcoholic or a sex addict or to stop being homeless because the person's circumstances have to shift, but then their mind has to shift. And that is what takes a long time. Because so. even though I wasn't homeless anymore... I would still walk out of my apartment to go find homeless people to talk to because i spoke that language <laughs> you know for instance mm. so in the drug world and in the homeless world that is a community it was hard to let that community go because now in the upper world re- reverse of the underworld i'm being judged because i have felonies i'm being judged because I have addiction problems. I'm being judged because I was homeless. I'm being judged because I'm a janitor. So I can't show up to the upper world party talking to regular people, quote unquote. So I'm like, hey, I'm a janitor. And they react some sort of way, either with judgment or whatever, or or I have felonies or whatever. Can't get a job with those felonies. You know, so that's why people go back into 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 the life of crime. <laughs> True. So that's why it took so long, rocking and reeling, trying to try this, and that's why I'm ultimately in business for myself because I got tired of getting doors closed in my face or being judged sure. for shit that I wasn't doing anymore. And so, mm. so I people have patience with people. It takes a long time to bring somebody back to life when they fall in that low. Wow. Oh, bringing back to life. What a beautiful metaphor, because
0: actually that is, that is actually true, bringing them into the light, growing, growing that little uh, candle, that little spark within you, that will take some time that often takes, I mean, in my case, it would have probably taken better part of two years for that candle to really catch light. Again, Um, I was an empty shell when I went into rehab, or came out of rehab, um, it was uh, yeah, it was I had lived a certain life of instant gratification with alcohol and with with work being a workaholic for for a hell of a long time, probably quarter of a century uh, by that time. and to now suddenly take that all away and uh, somehow replace that. fuck, uh, that was a hard hard two years. It was a great two years because ultimately I had an empty canvas in front of me. I could start painting the painting however I wanted. That was cool. Um, um, so and but it takes time. And I guess that is also a message I want to send out there to people who are just going into rehab or who are just helping or just coming coming out of a self-destructive life. And now I think, hey, great, I've done 28 days and I've been I've excelled. I know everything. Bullshit. You haven't even started boy. <laughs> and it is what it is. Okay. it takes time for you to grow. It takes time for you to heal. Trauma comes in layers. Healing comes in layers. And unfortunately, you need to train the past, and you need to to deal with one sore at a time um, until they all are healed, and it will take you some time. And there will be setbacks. Okay, so it is it is what it is. But Devan, you are you are the classic example that the past does not equal the future. You are a man who is now going out there and is actually being entrepreneur. Um, who is an established author, a speaker, a show host. Man, that is some damn good accolades where I come from. Um, so this is uh, this is the new you. So the past does not equal the future, guys. Um, and if two numbnuts like us can do it, Guys, I think you've got a fair chance. When I say guys, I don't care how many X and Y chromosomes you have or what kind of gender uh, you identify with or get attracted to. Don't get hung up by titles. No, I mean you, you who actually stuck around for an hour to listen to us. Okay, so there is hope for you. Don't let any other voice in your head tell you different. Because there is a life out there that is waiting for you. You might not see it now, but please, 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 trust me. Have a look at uh, Devannon's book. Uh, hold it again in front of us that we see it. <laughs> there we go. Sex, drugs, and Jesus. And if you're getting really bored, then you might even go for My Steps to Sobriety. <laughs> because we both have written our books so to, to make sense out of the darkness that we have been in so guys learn from us learn from the lessons that we have learned the hard way you don't have to repeat them okay it's good to make your own mistakes but come on you've made already too many of them isn't it otherwise you wouldn't be here listening to us um so (laughs) divan you're an amazing man i'm 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 honored i'm humbled that you you came onto my show um what what are you working on currently? Who do you want to be in a year's time
1: or in two years' time? Hmm. Who do I want to be? Gosh, I'd love to have a syndicated talk show. Ooh, <laughs> the big yeah. words. <laughs> yeah, like on a major network, that would be phenomenal. <laughs> but, um, but I'm working on a another book, which is going to be a free book called "Don't Call Me a Christian," and it's going to. I'm going to be venting a lot of my writing is so cathartic and all a book is is a huge ass journal. And so um I'm gonna be venting my frustration with like church politics and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And my call to action there is to one of my favorite things about how my past doesn't have to be my future, is that I don't go to church anymore. I don't care for organized religion, but I'm really, really close to God and I'm and I'm I'm really pulling for people to give God another chance. And I really want people to to divide God from these churches and everything like that, but not be bitter and angry about it all. And let that bitterness go so that they can have clear spirituality. You can have God, but fuck the church. Wonderful. Good. And then I'm working on a poetry book also uh, to talk about some things. And, uh, and so, so more books. Excellent. Uh, Excellent.
0: And where can people find you? If they want to get hold of you or if they wanna learn more about you. Sexdrugsandjesus.com. Guys, look down there into the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast. Uh Devon's uh links are down there. So it's very easy. There's no excuse not to not to check him out. So Devannon, thank you so much for coming on to my show at a ball of a time. And uh I I learned a lot, Uh, your honesty and authenticity allowed me to reflect on some of the more interesting things that I've done in my life, um, and for that I'm grateful. So Devan, thank you so much for being a guest on my show. Thank you for having me, my brother. Absolutely. And you guys out there, live with passion and look after yourself. Bye.